Welcome to Faith Church. We're glad you're here. And I just want to reiterate something that uh, you just heard in our Next Step video, and that is water baptism is next Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a great Sunday. It's one of our favorite Sundays of the year. We do it just about every month. And so um, if you've never taken your next step in water baptism, I want to challenge you. Now is the time. Do it. It's going to be, be great. Well, about 15 years ago, uh, or more actually, I read a book entitled Wild at Heart. It kind of took the Christian world by storm when it came on the scene, and it is a book written for men and women about men. And uh, the idea behind this book, written by a man by the name of John Eldridge, who is actually one of my absolute favorite authors, um, the, the big uh, thesis, if you will, or the big idea in this book was that God created men to live wild at heart, but often the wounds of our life limit the scope of our life. And there are really three areas that men end up reclaiming uh, when they begin to discover masculinity as it relates to how God created men to be, because God created men to be men and women to be women. And uh, next week, we're going to talk about how God created women, and there are differences, um, and we are going to discover in Genesis today that God created men and women in his image, equally in the image of God, um, and unique in their own way. And, and men are created to, to be men wild at heart. And in the book, he talks about how every man has to go through and understand that there is a battle that he needs to fight, there is an adventure that he needs to live, and there is a beauty that needs to be rescued. And uh, if we can allow God to uncover the wounds of our soul, men, we can reclaim a wild heart before the Lord. And in this series, Uncovered, um, I want to talk a little bit about those things. Today, we're going to get real practical. I'm going to get really theological. Then we're going to get really, really practical. And uh, so I hope you brought something to take some notes. Uh, we're going to write some things down. If you are a man, you're going to get something out of this. If you are not a man, you can get something out of this because likely there is a man near you or in your life, and it's going to help you in that process. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 27, this is what Scripture says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every, somebody say, I give you. It was a gift. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every, everybody say every, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and it was very good. It was very good. Now, 
flip a couple pages or click over a couple chapters and go to Genesis 3. See, in Genesis 3, we read it last week how Adam and Eve made a decision to sin and transgress against God's commands. And in their choice to be disobedient, in their choice to go their own way, Eve was deceived, but Adam made a choice. Eve was deceived and tricked. Adam willfully made a choice. He chose woman over God. He made a choice. He he made a choice. There was a substitute that he made. He made a choice to go along with what his wife was saying, with what Eve was saying, as opposed to standing true to what God was saying. Adam made a choice. Eve was deceived. Adam made a choice. And as a result, sin entered in the world. And, and, and their natures were changed and sin began to pollute things. And then God said, here, as a result of your choice to sin, there are some things that now will happen. And he began to explain to them what was going to happen. He first spoke to the serpent and told the devil, here's what's going to happen to you. Then he looked at the woman and he says, this is what you're going to experience going forward. Just get ready for it. And then he said to Adam, Adam, this is what you will experience. And we pick that up in Genesis 3, starting in Verse 17, to Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. What we see in these two passages is simply this, is that God wanted us originally to experience life as a gift. He created the garden, he created us, and it was all good. And he says, here is the vast space for you to explore, for you to discover adventure, for you to live wild uh, and enjoy everything that is here. It is for you, a gift for you, Adam, Eve. Enjoy it together, here it is. You can enjoy all of this. It is a gift for you. See, God originally wanted us to experience life and existence as a gift. But then Genesis 3 happens. And this is what the doctrine in Christian, uh, in in the Christian worldview, in the Christian doctrine, this is what we refer to as the fall of man. The Christian doctrine of the fall of humanity is based on the reading of Genesis chapter 3. Now, this doctrine simply states that the transgression of the first human beings resulted in humanity's fractured relationship with God, a loss of innocence, and an entrance into the condition of sin, which ultimately results in death. What does all that mean? Here's what it means. Sin now causes us to experience life as something that must be earned. God originally intended for us to experience life as a gift. Here's the fruit. It's going to grow on the tree. I'm going to make it grow automatically. There were springs that would spring up from the garden. Go read it in Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is a beautiful place of paradise that God created for them to enjoy as a gift for them to enjoy together and with him. That was the point. 
And, and there would be springs that would come up from the ground to water the earth. In other words, Adam and Eve didn't really have to do anything to create the food. It already was there. God provided it all as a gift for them. But then sin showed up, and instead of it being a gift, now it is something that they have to earn. By the sweat of your brow, you will earn. As a result of their sin, God was explaining to them, listen, this is what you can expect from here on out. You're going to work hard, and you're going to try to get ahead, but everything in life seems like it's going to be an obstacle. You're going you're to clear the garden, and boop, weeds are going to start popping up. And it's going to be a sick cycle. In other words, Adam, get ready. You're going to have a dead-end job. It's just going to be a repeated cycle. You work hard, you earn a little bit, you get behind. You work hard, you get ahead, you get tired. It's just going to be a sick cycle carousel that you find yourself on. We live in a world in which now, because of sin entering our world, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of a world, isn't it? For men, it's, again, hey, that's great. I'm glad you, glad you did that last year, but what have you done this year? Oh, I'm glad you worked hard last week. Great job, but what have you done this week? Yeah, yeah, I know you worked on the honeydew list last week, but what have you done this weekend? Yeah, yeah, that was then. This is now. What have you done for me lately? It creeps into our everyday life. What have you done for me? Because sin comes in and says you must earn everything or you're not worthy of anything. And we live under this pressure, and men experience it more than ever before. And as a result, we feel this unworthy, we feel this um, inadequacy, we feel like this striving for something to be earned. And as a result, men just simply can't deal, and so we just cover up this lack of satisfaction in our lives. We, do, we just cover it up. We cover it up with, with things like competition, we, we cover it up and we, with things like uh, criticism. J just listen to your husbands today as they watch the NFL games that are filling our TV screens. Praise the Lord, it has returned. They're going to sit there and criticize. That was a dumb call. Why did they throw that? The guy was wide open. Look at him, and They're just going to criticize as if they could be heard. We criticize. We get cocky. Men turn around and they compromise trying to earn more, cutting corners, compromising their convictions to try and get ahead in some way. We, we cover it up to try and compensate in our lives. We feel inadequate, unsatisfied, so we feel it in all sorts of other areas trying to compensate for these things. We grasp for control in every environment that we're in. And we chase pleasure and we chase power. And all of these are external workings of men just trying to cover it up because we are working hard. We are sweating hard. There's a toil within our soul and we haven't been satisfied. And we wonder, will we ever be? See, God intended for us to live life as a, as a gift. But now we live life as slaves trying to earn something, earn our keep, prove your worth. And we forget that God created us to be human beings, not human doings. And we wrap our worth in the wrong place. But the beauty of it all 
is that what was intended as a gift, sin forfeited, and now we try to earn on our own, but we never can really earn it. It's always out of our grasp. That's the ever-elusive nature of it. God's grace returns through the person of Jesus who died on a cross, was buried, and resurrected, and he returns to us the gift of life. You see, what we forfeited in the garden and we lost and we had to earn and strive, God says, I'm going to return to you in the form of my grace as a gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. It is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming the very curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing that was given to Abraham might come to us, the Gentiles, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It's gift language All over again. See, what was intended to be life lived as a gift, turned because of sin to be life earned. And until we put our faith in Jesus, we will still be trying to earn a satisfaction, earn our rights, earn what we have. But God says, I've showed up. I've given you my son as a gift. And he brings grace to restore the gift of life. Satisfaction in those things. See what? What Jesus did is he actually reversed the curse and he redeemed it all. He paid the price, redemption. He bought it back and made it so that we could live our lives. See, here's what it looks like. See, in salvation, when you say yes to Jesus, when you have that moment of salvation, that that conversion moment where you fully surrender and put your faith in Jesus, no longer putting it in your own works, not only putting it in your own way of doing things, when you put it into Jesus, something happens. See, our spirits are redeemed and set free from the very penalty of sin. The moment you get saved, it sets you free from that penalty of sin. That's why water baptism is important because it's an outward demonstration of an inward commitment that you've made. It goes public with this very thing to say that my spirit has been set free from the very penalty of sin, but we still have a soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, the actions that we kind of command central causes to take. This is the process the Bible refers to as sanctification, where it's an ongoing process. In other words, our souls are being set free from the power of sin. In other words, the more we are renewed, the more we are transformed by the word of God, the more we put into practice the ways of Jesus and model our lives in surrender to his will instead of our will, the more we do that, the less the power of sin has a grip on our lives. And our souls are are, are in the process of being set free from the power of sin. And one day your body will, will be set free from the very presence of sin at all. When Jesus returns, and we believe he will, he's coming again for his church. And when he comes again, and then when the world gets set right and the new heaven and the new earth are created, the power and the very presence of sin will be eradicated from our midst. And we won't live in the presence of sin at all because all will be made new. This is the exchange that Ezekiel 11 talks about. Ezekiel 11, where it says, I wanna give you a new heart, men, where you feel like you have to earn everything and prove everything. I wanna give you a new heart, God says. 
He, he wants to come, and what once was wounded, he says, I want to make alive again and wild after him. There is a transaction. There is an exchanging of your hard heart for a soft heart. There is an exchanging where God says, if you are willing to uncover all of the things, if you will remove the coverings of, of all the things you cover up your heart and your life with trying to earn satisfaction, earn status, earn approval, if you will uncover all of those things God says I'll give you a brand new heart and where there were wounds I'll bring healing where there are wounds I'll bring healing here's here's the big idea today the whole sermon in one sentence are you ready for it bottom line this is how men like it one just give me one point pastor I just need one and then we can move on here you go here's your one point if you don't get anything out of this hear me today hear this God wants you to live as a steward who is welcomed as a son and daughter, not as a slave who is striving to earn their keep. That's God's desire. That's why Jesus showed up, to redeem and to buy it all back, to to reset it. What once was a gift that now people felt like they had to earn, God says, I'm giving you a gift again. I want to redeem something. God wants us to live as stewards who are welcomed as sons who belong as a family, not as slaves who have to strive, earn your keep, do it better, don't mess up, don't quit, don't do that, don't do that, show me something new, prove it, prove it, prove it. No, no more of that. That's not how he wants us to live. He wants us to live as stewards who are welcome to sons. Romans 8, 14 says, uh, for those who are led by the spirit of God, to them he gave the power to be called children of God. Not, not living in fear as a slave would, but as a son and a daughter by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. John 15 says, Jesus said it this way, I no longer call you servants or slaves, I call you friends. In Galatians 4, we read that, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You're not some scum. You're not some slave to sin. No, you are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You've been redeemed at a high, high price. So, So what does it look like to live as a steward, not as a slave? Well, real practically, I want to give you three areas that we need to live as stewards, not as slaves, where we need to steward as if it's our responsibility, but not our ownership, rather than a slave that is trying to earn something. A steward knows that they belong. They know their place is set. A slave is always trying to earn and and cowers low. There's a different posture that we take. God wants us to live as stewards, not as slaves. Number one, in this area, God wants you to live as a steward, not as a slave, to your work, to your work. Whatever is your job, for you young men, your schoolwork is your job. Whatever it is that you do during, that is your job. God wants you to live as a steward, not as a slave to your work. Look, look at Colossians chapter three. Starting in verse 17, it says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. He's talking to employers and employees. That's the relationship he's referring to. So employees, obey your bosses in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and watching you in order to curry their favor, but with sincerity of your heart 
and reverence to the Lord, whatever you do, whatever it is that you do, whether you're a construction worker or you're a coach, whether you're a teacher or you're a plumber, whether you're a healthcare worker or you work in government, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you were working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, work hard, steward it well. I want you to realize that laziness was never a part of the equation of God's plan. In the garden, when it was all created and it was all wonderful and it was good, and they said, uh, Here, here's all of these things. We want you to work and, and tend to everything. The word is, there's a, there's a stewardship. He's given us this to subdue, to take care of. We are to steward what God has given to us. Your job, your ability to work, your knowledge, your skills, your education, all of it is a gift from the Lord. And whatever it is that you're doing right now, do it as unto the Lord, not unto man. Do it because God is applauding, because God loves you, because he's given you those things and you're doing it to honor him, not to get the attaboys from your boss, not to earn greater status, not to enlarge your bank account. Do it all for the Lord. Did you know that over 50% of the American workforce works more than 40 hours a week? In fact, 25% of the workforce works 50 to 59 hours in a week. There are 25% of those, uh, uh, an additional 25% work more than 60 hours in a week. What is it we're trying to earn? What is it we're trying to prove? What is it we're trying to satisfy in our heart that can only be satisfied as a gift from God? What are we chasing? What is the cycle? What is the thing? Rarely will you find in Scripture God saying, just work harder. That's how you do it. It's not really how he says to do it. What is it you're trying to prove to somebody else? Listen, I think we need to work. I think we need to work hard. I think we need to be diligent. I think when we show up, we need to show fully up. I don't think we need to make excuses. I don't think we need to be, be lazy. I think as followers of Jesus, we ought to be the best employees in any industry that we are working. Not because we're Christians and we say that, but because we work hard, we're diligent, we have good attitudes, and we realize we're not trying to earn the approval of our boss. We're living with integrity because heaven is standing at its feet watching us and God is cheering us on. That's why we ought to do it. I think we need to have, choose a heart that is motivated to honor God, not manipulate the approval of other people. I think we need to live in a way that would honor God, not manipulate for other people's approval. Don't work to impress others. Don't work because it feels good to be needed. Don't work to try and prove something. You have to change the motivation. And when you choose, see, when you're trying to earn something, when you're trying to feel needed, when you're trying to press others, you're living as a slave, not as a steward. But when you live as a steward, you say, ah, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this with joy in my heart. I'm doing this to bring glory and honor to his name. I'm doing this to, because he's given me this as a gift, and so I get to return it back to him. I'm doing it for the Lord. See, every man on this planet is asking the question, do I have what it takes? 
Because when we lost the status in the garden and we had to work hard to try to earn our keep, we have this deep longing in our souls where we're trying to ask the question, do I have what it takes? For those of you parents with young boys, do you remember the phrase, hey mom, watch this. Hey dad, look at this. Hey mom, look at this. Hey, watch what I did. It was earlier this year when my son was playing baseball, we were coming home and my son's pretty outright with his questions, um, pretty bold, direct. He gets it from his mom, <laughs> honestly. Um, I beat around the bush. I like flower it up. I'll, I'll, I'll wax poetically. He just like cuts to the point. I'm like, okay, son, I know where you're coming from. Let's talk. We were on our way home from the game and he's like, hey, dad, did you see when I did this? Hey, hey, I got that hit, and, and I did this. W- weren't you proud of me, Dad? All he was asking is, hey, Dad, do I have what it takes? And it was in that moment that I reframed my affirmation for him. And it wasn't about what he did, but I reminded him that he was my son, and that was enough. I had to reframe the affirmation so that he knew that his value wasn't based on what he did on the ball field or in the schoolhouse, what grades he got. But the affirmation came because he was my son. We are human beings, not human doings, men. And you need to hear the affirmation from your father today. You are his son. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to earn anything because you can't anyways. Just know that you are God's son. So so live as a steward, not a slave to your work. Your motivation changes. Second area I think we need to to realize this is that God wants us to live as stewards, not slaves to our desires. The desires within you are hardwired from God. A gift from God. Desire is a beautiful thing that he gives to all of humanity. But we have to steward those desires or we become slaves to those desires. Did you know that the average American is bombarded with 4,000 to 10,000 images of advertisements a day? Four to 10,000, that's a ton of pictures. And you know what happens is, is, is we become desensitized to all of it. So you're scrolling through Facebook and you see somebody had a baby and you have no reaction to it because the very next picture is somebody whose son just died and you have no reaction to it. You see wildfires burning and you have no reaction to it. We can't lament with the mom who lost her son to an injustice, nor can we celebrate with the couple who just got married. We've become desensitized to all of it and we're left to laugh at gifts of cats instead. And we've lost the ability to actually interpret and feel and be human again. We've become desensitized to these things. And if we're not careful, we create this sense of numbing within us or withdrawal from others. And both fracture the relationships around us. Both fracture. Because all of these images, all of these advertisements are trying to convince you that you don't have something that you need. You really do need a better chainsaw. You really do need a bigger truck. You really do need this or that because you're not really satisfied with what you have now. So trade it in for a newer, younger model. And we're 
filled with all of these things. And now we are, we're left to wrestle with the tension of our desires. And if we're not careful, we will become slaves to our desires rather than stewarding our desires. Look, look at Colossians chapter 3. It says this starting in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is all idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all, the, all these such things to teach each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of your creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. The apostle is writing and says, there are these desires that are at war in you that you feel a slave to, but you can steward them instead of be a slave to them by putting on Christ more than you put on your old self. In other words, you can choose every morning to wake up and put on the swag of your Savior, or you can put on the rags of your sin. The choice is yours. You have the ability to say, I'm not going to live enslaved to these desires, these things that would make me angry and malicious and vicious and, 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 and upset about everything and speak bad about somebody else. No, I'm not going to live that way because I've been redeemed. I've been changed on the inside. So instead, I'm going to put on Christ in me. I'm going to clothe myself with Christ. I'm going to clothe myself in his image and his glory and his righteousness. I'm going to put on his righteousness instead of living in my own righteousness. I'm going I'm I'm to follow him instead. And he says something interesting. He says, put it to death, those desires, those evil ones. I don't think it's so much about removing them. I think it's about replacing them. I don't think it's about removing this issue, this, this pattern, this way of thinking. It's about replacing them. It's about replacing them. In other words, I, I want to say it like this. Instead of trying to get as close as you can to the line of anger without sinning, just move in the opposite direction of anger. Instead of getting as close to the line as you can of, of lust, how about you just walk in the other direction instead? Instead of getting as close as you can with, with cheating and doing as little as you can on your homework without getting caught, why not just walk the other direction and be diligent in your work and in your studies? Instead of trying to get as close as you can to taking all that you can, cheating on your taxes, just barely not cheating, but close to cheating. Instead of doing that, just live with integrity and stay and move in a different direction in your life. Why wait to avoid a temptation tomorrow when you can eliminate it today? You struggle with alcohol addiction, men? Just make a decision. I'm not even going to walk down the grocery aisle where there is alcohol. You can't buy it if you're never near it. I'm not going to get that close to the line. I'm just going to go in a different direction. Instead of trying to avoid temptation tomorrow, whenever it would come, why not take the opportunity today to eliminate the opportunity altogether? Oh, don't wait to avoid the decision not to text her back. Just delete the contact altogether out of your phone. You can't call 
a number that you forgot. And most of you haven't memorized a phone number in years. <laughs> but we have a phone for. Why, why get as close? Don't wait to avoid and overcome a temptation. Eliminate it before it can even become a temptation. We can't live as slaves to our desires, tossed to and fro, just a, a bomb waiting to explode. Now we've got to live as a pattern, as a life that says, I'm not going to be enslaved to this desire. Instead, I'm going to steward it in God's way. I'm going to clothe myself in Christ every day. I'm going to remind myself that I'm a son, that instead of this anger, I've been given kindness. Instead of this arrogance, he's given me humility. Instead of this rough, tell it like it is, deal with it if you want, he's actually given me gentleness and patience. What are you putting on every day, man? Are you putting on your own self or are you putting on the self of Christ? Let's clothe ourselves in Christ each and every day. Let's not be passive about it. Let's be proactive about it. And let's live as sons, not as slaves. God wants us to be stewards, not slaves to our work. He wants us to be stewards, not slaves in our desires. Can I, can I help married men out for just one second? Can we hit pause on this progress, and can I just help men out for one minute? If there's a lack of passion in your marriage, it's time to steward that in your own decisions. You get to be the chief ember stoker of the romance. You get to do that. Bring home some flowers. Tell her she looks beautiful. Adorn her with your words every single day, expecting nothing in return. Your words begin to soften a heart that's grown hard and cold. If you need to stoke the embers in your marriage, men, it's your responsibility. Do it as a steward. Don't feel enslaved and trapped by what you feel like has been created. That was free. It wasn't in my notes. <laughs> and based on the silence, I felt like it was hidden deep. Number three. God wants you to live as a, as a steward, not a slave, in all of your relationships. Look at Colossians 3, starting in verse 19. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love, love your wife. Do not be harsh with them. Children, young men, obey your parents in everything. What you think is cool or not cool, in everything, obey them. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. That word embitter is better translated exasperate. Provoke, make angry, resent you. Fathers, don't do that. Anger, exasperation, provoking is a fruit of insecurity. Insecurity is a form of fear. Track with me for a minute, gentlemen. I'm going to help you out with something. It's a form of fear. First John tells us that perfect love gets rid of fear. 
So where your children are expressing anger, it is likely because there is a space of insecurity. Where there is insecurity in a relationship, fear shows up. Where there is fear, there is a lack of godly love. Need me to say it again? Let's rewind that. Anger, provoked, bitterness, forms of insecurity. Insecurity in any relationship is a form of fear. Fear exists only where there is a lack of godly love. When you are walking in love, where you're patient, you are kind, you aren't rude, you aren't self-seeking, you aren't boastful, you aren't proud, you aren't doing all those things. When you're walking in 1 Corinthians 13 in your home, in your workplace, with your employees, in your church circles, in your small group, in the community where you hang out, in the gym when you are exercising, and on the golf course, when you are operating in the love of God, there is no space for fear to show up. So dudes, learn to love like God in every relationship that you have. Love is always sacrificial. Love is always taking the spot of a servant. Love removes and dispels our fears. So if we're gonna steward our relationships, not be slaves to our relationships, it's about love. Proverbs 11.25 says this. Refresh others, and you will be refreshed. Love must be expressed. Now, guys, we're not really good at expressing such things. In fact, when guys compliment other guys or encourage other guys, it's always indirect. We rarely are like, hey, Clayton, I love your shirt, bro. That looks so good on you. Like, that's not really how the like, guys are like talk. It'll be like, hey, you did a great job at this thing that you did. You were amazing on the pickleball court, dude. You were killing it. Ah, you crushed it on the golf course. Man, oh man, you are smoking the ball today. Man, your truck is looking really spotless and clean. That is awesome looking. It's all indirect. But a man who needs to be refreshed will refresh others. And when you refresh other people, you yourself will also be refreshed. Look at what Proverbs 12, 25 says. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but kind words will cheer him up. Can I let you in on a little secret? If you happen to see another guy or you live in a house with a guy, he needs to be cheered up. He's weighed down. If you see another guy, he needs to be refreshed in his soul. It is a given. Why? Because we live in a world that is reeked with sin. And sin came in and tells us you got to earn it. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. Prove it. Do it. Do more. That's not enough. And it creates this anxiety that weighs heavy on the hearts. If there's a, a man in your life, a dad, a husband, a son, you know what they need? They need words of honor spoken over them. They need words of life deposited into them. They need to be refreshed 
with life-giving words every single day. It is a given. It doesn't matter if you're like, oh, they did great on this and I'm upset about this. No, no, I'm just telling you, if you will refresh him with your words, he will start being refreshed. If you want to open him up and, and you're wondering why is he so weighed down? Why is he so quiet? Why is he so in withdrawal? It's because something is weighing him down. He feels enslaved by something. He feels trapped by something. And he needs to be refreshed. And you're the one to do it. Because your words have life have life men today I came to remind you you're not a son or you're not a slave that has to earn something you are a son who gets to steward everything because it was given to you it was a gift it was a gift you need to be reminded men that your masculinity will never be discovered internally or externally it only can be bestowed on you by other men. Hear me today, men. God is restoring those things in your life. Jesus never buckled to the criticism around him because he had the approval of his father. Jesus was reminded of his sonship. This is my son in him. I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done a single miracle at that point in his life. He hadn't walked on water, hadn't created disciples, hadn't taught a single sermon. And God says, I'm well pleased with this is my son John says but to all who do receive him being Christ who believe in his name he gave the right to become children of God men if you have put your faith in Jesus God has given you the right to be called a son of God first John 3 says see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should even be called children of God we love him and we love others because God first loved us. We will never outgrow God's care. I don't care how old you get, how successful you are, what you accomplished with your life. You will never outgrow God's care for your life. You will never exhaust God's love because it endures forever. And Romans tells us nothing separates us from his love. You will never outrun God's reach because if you go to the depths, Psalm says he's there. If you go to the heights, he's waiting for you. If you get lost along the way, God will meet you there. You can't outrun God's reach. You'll never slip through his fingers because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession and praying for you by name, his son. He'll never slip through his fingers. And every day we wake up, God's news mercies are right there to greet you and accompany you through your day. God will meet all of your needs. And in Christ, men, you are chosen. You are loved. You are prized. You are wanted. You are believed in by God who is your perfect father. And where you have fear, his love wants to eradicate it out of your life uncovering your insecurity and replacing it with his love. Today is the day for you to be called a son or a daughter of God. Today's the day of your salvation. Today is a day where you, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're watching this, you can restart your relationship and your walk with God again today. Would you bow your heads and 
close your eyes as we take a moment and just reflect, asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Maybe you need to restart your relationship or start a relationship with God for the very first time. Put your faith in Jesus and exchange this life of slavery and toiling for God's grace and his gift of life. Maybe for you today, it's about realizing that it's time to steward as a son instead of as a slave trying to earn something because it's been a gift from God for you. Maybe you're here and you're like, I I need to be more encouraging to the men in my life. My my words have been harsh and critical. They need to give life so that they flourish and they refresh it. Holy Spirit, you're speaking to our hearts. And in response, we want to come to your table today where we receive of your bread and we receive of the wine representing your body and your blood which brings salvation to our entire being, spirit, soul, and body. So Lord, for those in this moment who don't have a relationship with you, Lord, you're drawing them. I pray that in this moment they would just surrender and say, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. If that's you, just in your own heart, Maybe murmur a prayer to the Lord, Lord, I'm choosing to follow you today. I give you my all. Be my savior today. For others of us, we're coming and we're recentering our lives, recognizing that the only thing that's really going to satisfy us is Jesus. He's the one that sets it right. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, we just seal this moment as we come to the Lord's table in communion. That night before he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Let's remember what Christ has done for us. So we partake of the bread. The same night, he took a cup, lifted it up to heaven. and says, this is my blood being poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Every time you drink this cup, do so remembering me. Let's remember his forgiveness today. Lord, today we confess our need for you. We can't do it alone, God. We can't earn our way, but we can receive the gift of life through your son. Lord, help us not to live enslaved to things, not just for the men, Lord, but but for the ladies too. May we not be enslaved to our work, enslaved to our desires or enslaved in relationships, but instead steward all of them in a way that honors you, Lord. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart this week be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you watch this with us? Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, 
would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.